Hi, and welcome back. Attorney Steve Vondran here. Welcome to another exciting episode of Vondran Legal Hour. All right, Attorney Steve, it's Tuesday. Thank you for listening today. We are talking about a very, very, very important holding that came out of New Jersey. It's from a district court in New Jersey. I'm going to give you the case number so you can take a deeper dive into this if you would like. If you're battling Strike 3 or Malibu Media or any other adult pornography company in a federal court lawsuit or they're seeking early discovery, which is what they tend to be doing here, um, this is a very important case that you need to be aware of. Also, I'm going to repeat it again. Guys, gals, talk to your kids. Tell them to stop downloading and sharing through BitTorrent clients, BitTorrent protocol Adult pornography movies from companies like Strike 3 and Malibu Media. These companies are filing thousands, not hundreds, thousands of lawsuits. And they're doing anything they can to extract settlements from people. And we do have cases where, yes, the subscriber is not the infringer. And courts are starting to recognize that and recognize the game that's being played here, and some courts simply aren't going to have anything to do with it, okay? So this is going to be a very important case if you're in BitTorrent, if you're in BitTorrent litigation. I know I have other attorneys that follow me as well. I'm glad you're all listening. Fight the fight together here and hold these guys to task because I think what they're doing is getting found out. Courts are not going for it. They're not taking the bait as they may have done in the past. And so there's a, what I see is a, an awakening and this case certainly helps points out some of the major problems and inherent flaws that they're going through. Okay. So again, this is general legal information only not legal advice. Again, it cases can depend on the jurisdiction that you're in. This one happens to be in New Jersey, which is on the other side of California where we're located. However, it, is, it does provide some very impressive case law and analysis and things that can be used in California or Arizona, states where I practice, or even other cases. Some, some courts were admitted to nationwide, which is New York and Texas were also admitted there. So um, I'm going to go over this with you, and I hope, um, I hope some of this sinks in. It's going to take a little bit of time, but if you're in this area, it's important to listen to this through its entirety because I think you'll start getting the flavor of what's going on. And really, these are the cases and the analysis and the arguments that are needed to take a case, to take them to task when they're, when they're not settling a case or they're seeking discovery early on. You get a letter from your ISP saying there's a subpoena and you have a chance to file a motion to quash, those kinds of things. You know, you may want to start taking a look at this. Again, it does depend on your jurisdiction. Um, some, some courts go for it, some courts don't, but this court clearly, clearly did not. So I'm going to go over this. Now, this is a case, Strike 3 Holdings. It was actually, looks like three consolidated cases. And this is in the United States District Court for the District of New Jersey, Camden, Vincenage, whatever that means. I'm not sure what that means. Um, but there are three cases consolidated. You can find this through PACER, through our PACER, Federal Court PACER system, at 1 colon 18 dash CV dash 02674. Okay, that's what you're going to want to do to get the case in there pulled up. You can read this order. This is an order, opinion from the court, I should say. Um, let's get into it. 
just for the backdrop, what strike three was trying to do is what it does in every case. Uh, almost every case, I should say. Uh, they're doing some new tricks now, which I will tell you about. Um, filing uh, cases in Miami-Dade County Court. County Court, not even a federal court. But I'm going to talk about that more in a, in a separate video. Or you can Google Vondran Miami-Dade. I did a, a podcast on this. Very important to understand the tricks that are going on and the arguments that can be raised to try to stop these cases in their track. And why do I say that? We see settlement demand. We've seen a settlement demand as high as 50000 Dollars. Let me say that again. $50 for sharing videos. Like for Strike 3, it's the Blacked or the Tushy or the Vixen videos. Malibu Media has its X art. So, um, but it's insane. I mean, who would think that by downloading, remember Napster, people use Napster and they thought it, well, it was fine. They thought it was new technology. But as it appears, as you'll hear here in some of the facts that I have to give, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Okay. Uh, so this opinion, I'm just reading right from the opinion. None of this will be my words. This is going to be all the words of the judge. Okay. This opinion addresses whether to grant strike threes holdings LLC leave to conduct expedited discovery in its uniform John Doe copyright infringement cases, Strike 3 owns the copyrights to its adult entertainment movies, pornography, in contravention of the normal course of discovery, Strike 3 needs leave to serve subpoenas before a Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 26F conference in order to identify the alleged John Doe copyright infringers of its movies. Okay, so pause for a second. So basically what happens is... <coughs> excuse me, they file these John Doe complaints. They don't really know who the infringer is. And so they're trying to get that information from the ISP. And normally you have to file a suit. You have to go through the pleading stage. You know, somebody may file a motion to dismiss. There has to be a scheduling order, meet and confer the parties. You know, all kinds of things have to happen in a federal court case. But... Here, they try to seek expedited discovery because they don't know who the infringer is. They don't know who the subscriber is, okay? All they have is a, is a hit list of, of movies and an IP address, and they need to go to the internet service provider, try to find out who this person is. So that's what they do. They send a subpoena, and usually these are unchallenged. Why? Because the party who's... Uh, the John Doe who's being sued, they don't even know anything about this yet. They're sitting at home uh, watching a football game, eating some chips and downloading some movies. They have no idea this court process is going on as, as they sit there. So usually these are unopposed motions. But here the court on its own initiative, on its own initiative said, no, just because other courts have routinely granted this, we're not granting this. We're not, we're not giving you the exception to the to rule where you normally have to go through a process. We're not going to let you do that. Moving on, court says, after a deep dive into Strike Three's practices, including two evidentiary hearings and extensive briefing, the court concludes that Strike Three's requests for expedited discovery are denied. Denied. The court finds that Strike Three has not established good cause to take this requested discovery and the discovery is unreasonable under the present circumstances. 
So, wow, here's the court hitting back, saying this is not going to work. We're not going to give you this early discovery. We're not going to let you get the name and the address from the ISP. Ain't going to happen, buddy. So here's we have it. Let's go on. The most fundamental basis of the court's decision is its conclusion that as pleaded, Strike Three's complaints are futile. Do you hear this? Strike Three's complaints are futile. The court denies Strike Three the right to bootstrap discovery based on a complaint that does not pass muster under federal rules of civil procedure 12B. That's your motion to dismiss. So the court's saying this complaint would not even satisfy a motion to dismiss. I mean, it's clear on its face here. And so why are we going to allow you to do discovery on something that couldn't even pass that simple muster? Very, very interesting stuff here. Very interesting stuff. Now, let me go here and tell you the bulk of what the court says, and then I'll dig into these areas here. Okay, if you want to just get this information and run, run with it, that's fine. But I'm going to go into a deeper dive here because this is very, very important language here. Further, even if Strike 3 pleads a cognizable copyright infringement claim, the court would still deny its requests for expedited discovery. Good cause does not exist. And here we go. We're going to have seven main reasons, okay? If you're taking notes, seven main reasons. One, Strike 3 bases its complaints on unequivocal affirmative representations of alleged facts that it does not know to be true. Did you hear that? It does not know these to be true. They're affirmative representations. How about that? And we've been saying this all along, by the way. They will tell you their geolocation technology is 99% accurate. This is what they tell me. 99% accurate. We know the infringer in this IP. We know it's in this jurisdiction. But court says here, uh, it doesn't look like you know that to be true. Two, strike three subpoenas are misleading. The subpoenas are misleading and create too great of an opportunity for misidentification. Okay, we'll get into that. Three, the linchpin of strike three P's, strike three's good cause argument that expedited discovery is the only way to stop infringements of its work, this is what they argue, is wrong. I've been saying this all along. It's wrong. That's not the only way to stop people is filing John Doe lawsuits and clogging the courts with thousands of these copyright infringement suits. Four, Strike 3 has other available means to stop infringement besides suing individual subscribers in thousands of John Doe complaints. Five, the deterrent effect of Strike 3's lawsuits is questionable. Six, substantial prejudice may inure to subscribers who are misidentified. I'll get into that. Seven, strike three underestimates the substantial interest subscribers have in the constitutionally protected privacy of their subscriber information. The privacy of their information, okay? On balance, and as you can see, this is the crux of it. You weigh all the factors on balance. Therefore, the court finds that the overall administration of justice and the prejudice to subscriber defendants outweighs strike three's interest in expedited discovery. Okay, so that's your short version. If you want to check out now and you go up, I got what I need and I'm out of here. Go for it. You want to hear a little bit more? I think it gets better. 
Let's keep going. Um, Court says, it is not lost on the court that its ruling may make it more difficult for Strike 3 to enforce its copyrights against potential infringers. However, as the Third Circuit recently stated, courts must enforce, enforce the law even where the results seem inequitable. In other words, sorry, Strike 3, sorry, Charlie. All right, hang on a second. I'm <coughs> just getting over a cold here. All right, let's go into it. Uh, general background, court says, Strike 3 has filed over 3,000 complaints to date. Now, that's just Strike 3. I think Malibu Media is even higher than that. So these companies together are closing in on about uh, 10,000 lawsuits, probably by next year sometime. Insane. Think about how many lawsuits that is in, in 50 state courts around the nation. It's not even 50. It's probably even less than that. Um. As of June 2019, Strike 3 filed 311 cases in New Jersey. More than half of the cases, 161, have been dismissed without prejudice for various reasons. So they're filing, I mean, the numbers, just look at the numbers, 311, 161 dismissed. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? If all the cases were great, uh, I don't know. What does that tell you? Think about it. Um, strike three brief, uh, strike three's modus operandi is essentially the same in all of its cases. Strike three files a John Doe complaints, naming unidentified assigned subscribers to an internet protocol IP address who have been identified by its contractors. They have overseas contractors and, and use technology to identify infringement on the BitTorrent network. Okay, BT is a software protocol that allows users to distribute data through peer-to-peer -peer networks. The BT network permits users to download, copy, and distribute Strike3's movies. The only pleaded connection to Strike3's complaints between John Doe, defendant, and the alleged infringement is that the John Doe is the subscriber to the listed IP address. So they're suing you because you're, an I, you're the subscriber and you, your IP address comes up and so you're the... John Doe, apparently, and then they get that name and address, and they look you up and try to see if you have assets, who you are, and then they try to seek a settlement. That happens in every case. It's what happens at what we deal with. After filing its complaint, Strike 3 files ex parte motions. That means there's nobody opposing you, basically. Uh, for expedited discovery, requesting leave to serve a subpoena on this John Doe's internet service provider. Comcast, Yahoo, Verizon, etc. Although multiple infringements are listed in its complaint, Strike 3 subpoenas only ask for the name of the IP subscriber for one infringement. So they may say, well, there's 80 movies, but we're looking for the name and address of this IP address for this movie on this date. So the court's going, why you just pick one out of a hat that may not be sufficient. Thus, to the exemplar complaint, even though the alleged infringement occurred on 31 occasions from December 3rd to 2017 to August 16th, 2018, Strike 3 subpoenas only ask for the subscriber's name on July 27, 2018. Due to dynamic IP addresses, however, the subscriber identified in response to Strike 3's November 13th, 2018 subpoena may or may not be the same person 
who subscribed to the IP address on July 27th. So what's the court saying here? There's two types of IP addresses. One is static, like a corporation may be assigned a static IP, the one that doesn't change. But many residential users, they are leased IP addresses. And as we'll talk about, they can change. You may have an IP address on one day and somebody, your neighbor up the block has it the next day. Okay. So this is what the court's talking about. Recently, however, numerous courts have delved deeper into strike three's complaints, discovery requests, and practices. A deep dive. It's devils in the details, folks. The genesis of this opinion is the November 6, 2018 opinion of the Honorable Royce Lamberth, United States District Court, um, Strike Three Holdings versus John Doe. Um, look up the case if you want to get these cited cases. I'm not going to give them all to you, but there is a nice dearth amount of copyright law in here for you. In a blistering opinion, Judge Lamberth denied Strike Three ex parte request for expedited discovery. Akin to the motions at issue herein. <coughs> Excuse me. Judge Lamberth accused Strike Three of being a copyright troll, of using technology that is famously flawed, of preying on low hanging fruit. Words you may want to use in your brief if you're litigating cases, okay? And flooding the courthouse with lawsuits smacking of extortion. That's from a judge. That isn't from me. That's from a judge. The opinion raised red flags regarding Strike Three's lawsuits that caused this court to explore the issue further. Okay, so courts are take starting to take a good look at this. Um, let's move on here. Um, the problems. Let's go into a deeper dive. The problems with their seeking early discovery, the factors that were weighed here, is also... Strike Three's infringement investigation starts with IPP International UG located in Germany. This is one of their investigators here. Strike Three hired IPP to track the infringement of its copyrights across the BT network. IPP does this by crawling the BT file distribution network and establishing a direct connect connection with the alleged infringer's IP address. Okay, so I wanted just some things I wanted to get out there. Um, I'm moving on. I'm skipping through the opinion here for try to keep this as short as possible. Despite its admitted lack of knowledge, its admitted lack of knowledge of who downloaded its works, whether the subscriber lives at the identified address and who lives at the address, Strike 3's complaints unequivocally aver, get this, in quote, I'm quoting, conclusory fashion that the listed subscriber to the identified IP address directly infringed its copyright. So this is what we've been saying. You say, well, the subscriber at this IP address on this day uh, infringed our copyrights. And you're saying, well, all you have is a, is a subscriber. How do you put them behind the wheel? It's like a DUI case. You got to put the guy behind the wheel before you, before you say, oh, he was Driving under the influence, driving means you were driving, means you were under control of the vehicle. They have to put you behind the, behind the wheel. How do they do that here? Well, they really can't. They really don't even know. And that's kind of the problem here. Conclusory fashion, okay? So the court cites some of that stuff. I'm going to skip through a few pages here. It's a very, very lengthy opinion, to be honest. It's a great case if you need to, if you're litigating these cases, California or else. 
Um, we, we are one of the main firms in California, if not the biggest, and we have appeared in over 150 copyright federal court cases now. So I think, I think that qualifies us amongst the tops, if not the tops. So, and by the way, experience in this area of law really does matter. Okay. We have people, I've seen them, people that have said, oh, well, BitTorrent, that looks easy. I'm a new lawyer. I think I'll give it a shot. And they'll put up a web page, and you can tell they've done nothing in this area or very little. In this area of law, experience is essential. Working relationships with the opposing counsel, which we have worked with many, if not all, of the opposing counsel in this area, this niche area of copyright law, is essential. Negotiation skills, contract skills, understanding the technology, how it works and how it doesn't work, what proof really is and what proof isn't. So um, make your decision wisely. We offer low flat rate fees, I think, that are best overall value on, in the marketplace. So let me continue here. That was my little pitch here. But number three, good cause. You're going to have good cause to have this motion granted. Number three, good cause does not exist for expedited discovery because strike theory does not plead a cognizable claim, i.e., listen to this, its complaints are futile, futile. Do you hear that? If strike three uh, does not plead a cognizable claim in its complaints, it would be anomalous to authorize discovery based on a John Doe complaint that does not pass muster under federal rules of civil procedure 12B6. That's your motion to dismiss. Um, in order to permit strike three to name an individual subscriber who then files a meritorious motion to dismiss, especially in the John Doe context where a complaint must be carefully scrutinized and a viable defendant is not present to challenge the complaint, it is unreasonable to authorize strike three to bootstrap discovery onto a feudal complaint. Don't you just love that? This has to give them pause for concern that this is what they're doing in every case. We also see some new tricks now where they're trying to uh, provide what we call additional evidence because they're very cognizant that they have a problem here, in my opinion, okay? Very cognizant that there's a problem. And now we're getting printouts where they say, well, talk to your client. We found these other downloads of other things, or we found other titles, or we found things that they liked on their Facebook, which seem to line up to make this person the actual infringer. And we read these things and we go, huh? What? This is, this is something additional. So you have to scrutinize Every piece of evidence and ask for the evidence. You have to ask for the evidence. Okay. Well, let's take a look. A few more things here. Going to let you go. I got to get running. Um, is, is it that strike is that strike three does not plead a cognizable claim um, in order to permit strike three to name an individual subscriber who then files a meritorious motion to dismiss. Okay. We just said that. It is unreasonable to authorize strike three to bootstrap discovery onto a feudal complaint. <coughs> However, if the court did not examine the futility of a John Doe complaint, it would create too great an opportunity for trickery and gamesmanship. Yes, there we go. Too big of an opportunity if you don't scrutinize these things, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, scores of cases address whether strike threes form complaints, what we call boilerplate, pass muster. Admittedly, the case law is split. So again, it's important to know this case doesn't mean the whole law has entirely changed. 
It just means that there's a split now. There is a body of law growing. Um, a substantial number of cases take a contrary view. The court sides with the cases that hold. It is not sufficient to merely allege in a pleading that the defendant is a subscriber of an IP address traced to infringing activity. Um, futile is the word I see once again. Okay. So think about that in order to survive a motion to dismiss a complaint must contain sufficient factual matter accepted as true to state a claim to relief. That is, here's the word plausible on its face. It has to be plausible. Okay. And I think what this court is saying, in my opinion, is this is pure a fishing expedition and pure speculation is the way I read this. Um, while the plausibility standard is not a probability requirement, a complaint must show more than a sheer possibility that the defendants acted unlawfully. Okay, so it needs to be a little bit more. It has to be something plausible, not just sheer possible. Okay, so there is a standard in pleading. If they can't meet those pleadings, courts and judges may be looking at this saying, we're going to deny your early discovery. So that's something important to keep in mind. And also important to think about that in the context of why we are now seeing Strike 3 Holdings filing lawsuits, notwithstanding the fact that they claim to know with 99% accuracy that, let's say, a client is based in California, and they're still filing a similar bill for discovery, as it's called, against unidentified infringers, a bill of discovery down in Florida, Miami-Dade County, using a law firm in Florida to file these um, discovery requests, which appear to be routinely granted without any real scrutiny that I can see, and allowing them to get names and addresses, even though from a Florida court, even though they know the person's in, in California. And I ask them, why are you using this, Cal this Florida court, this state court or county court, I should say, uh, not even a, a federal court, it's a county court of some sort, and they're getting the name and information that way. So it makes me wonder, it did this New Jersey case, did it compel a new strategy here? And is this strategy proper filing in federal when you know somebody actually lives in California? And one attorney that I deal with here in California told me, well, you know, they could file a motion to quash in Florida. And I'm like, well, how, you know, how did it, you know, some people don't even realize they're getting, uh, there's this actions going on. Some people have failed to receive a notice from the subpoena telling from the ISP telling them there's a subpoena to challenge. So is this really uh, interesting stuff going on? We're going to keep you posted up, updated on that. A couple more nuggets here. I just, I just got to get them out. Um, there's some good case law in there. Here's this. Listen to this. Strike three's complaints are devoid of facts, devoid of facts. Do you hear that? Sufficient to show that it is entitled to relief from the name John Doe. Again, that's what we are talking about. Conclusory, devoid of facts, good keywords to get in here. This judge is saying it's not me. Okay. If strike three complaints are stripped of their conclusory statements, they are left with the notion that merely subscribing to an IP address that downloaded copyrighted works is sufficient to make out a cause of action for copyright infringement. Okay. As stated in Toombly, this is a pleading standard where the well-pleaded facts 
do not permit the court to infer more than the mere possibility of misconduct. The complaint as has alleged, but it has not shown that the pleader is entitled to relief. So again, this needs to rise to a higher standard. Okay. Um, and the court goes into the cobbler case, our beautiful case from the ninth circuit. We love cobbler. Just think about eating a nice piece of cobbler pie. When you see these complaints coming in California, uh, Northern district, central district, Eastern district, Southern district, um, a lot of stuff going on in cobbler. The ninth circuit decided whether a bare allegation that a defendant is the registered subscriber of an IP address associated with infringing activity is sufficient to state a claim for direct contributory infringement. Like this case, the only allegation connecting Gonzalez to infringing activity was that Gonzalez was the registered owner of the IP address associated with the alleged infringement. So he's just an IP address subscriber. In affirming the district's course dismissal of the plaintiff's complaint, the court wrote, the direct infringement claim fails because Gonzalez's status as the registered subscriber of an infringing IP address standing alone does not create a reasonable inference that he is also the infringer because multiple devices and individuals may be able to connect with an IP address. Simply identifying the IP subscriber solves only part of the puzzle. Plaintiff must allege something more. That's something more to create a reasonable inference that a subscriber is also an infringer. Okay. That's what I call the something more test. Um, the complaint in cobbler is similar to strike three's form complaints in that the only connection between the John Doe defendant and the alleged infringement is that the defendant is the registered subscriber. That is not enough to plead a valid claim. That is not enough to plead a valid claim. Okay. Goes on, court goes on. The Ninth Circuit made clear in Cobbler that a copyright infringement claim based merely on a defendant's status as a subscriber of an IP address associated with infringing activity does not cross the threshold of plausibility that pleadings in federal court must satisfy. Did you hear that? Okay, I hope it's sinking in here. That's why I'm doing all this reading. This is the, probably the best case I've ever seen written as I've been reviewing these cases over the years, the court is aware of authority that limits cobbler to the motion to dismiss context. In other words, some decision hold that cobbler only applies after the plaintiff has an opportunity to, to obtain discovery, to identify a subscriber. However, the court respectfully disagrees that cobbler should be given a narrow reading in this court's view, cobbler carries just as much weight in the context of a motion for expedited discovery or motion to quash. That's your motion to quash your subpoena as it does in the context of a motion to dismiss. So the court's saying it is relevant to, to look at all this in the context of a motion for early discovery. It is permissible to take a close look at the complaint in regards to deciding whether they want to quash a subpoena. Okay. It is permissible to look at these things in regards to a motion to dismiss. Okay. Do you see how all this is working? All right, let's go. Um, next one. Uh, thank you. If you're still listening now, you are the true scholars. I can tell you, you're going to be getting ahead because you're taking the deeper dive. That's the way it goes in life. A recent instructive decision from this court in Malibu media versus Joe park. In that case, plaintiff filed a copyright infringement case 
against an alleged John Doe infringer. The complaint was later amended to specifically name the subscriber who then defaulted, like a default judgment, in denying plaintiffs' unopposed motion for default. So here we are even at the default stage. The court recognized that simply naming an IP subscriber does not make out a copyright claim and does not show that the subscriber is liable. Okay, guys, this is it. Plaintiff will have to show something more than merely tying defendant to an IP address in order to sufficiently establish copyright infringement. Okay, this is huge, huge language. Next, the assumption that the person who pays for internet access at a given location is the same individual who allegedly downloaded a single sexually explicit film is tenuous. Tenuous, I love that word. And one that has grown more over time. Okay, this has grown more over time. So very, uh, very, very harsh language if you're Strike 3 or Malibu Media. However, the fact that the law lags behind technology is not an ill this court can cure. The court will not create a remedy for Strike 3 that does not exist under existing law. Further, as stated in Strike 3 Holdings... Maybe someday someone will show the court a method to identify infringers with sufficiently less risk of false accusations. Okay. Um, next, instead, the ruling is based on the totality of the circumstances. Strike three bases its complaints on unequivocal affirmative representations of alleged facts that it does not know to be true. Strike three subpoenas are misleading and present too great of an opportunity for misidentification. The court also that, recognizes that a subscriber will be materially prejudiced. These words are important words if it is wrongfully named in a lawsuit. Don't you think if you were wrongfully named in a law lawsuit, you would be materially prejudiced? Uh, balancing the interests, again, that's inherent in this decision, balancing all the factors. Um, this is true even though the court's ruling may make it more difficult for strike three to cease infringement of its copyright. So in other words, they're saying kind of too bad, so sad. Um, need to kind of find a better way to do it here. Strike three pleads unequivocal statements of alleged facts that it does not know to be true. This is a court saying it again. Strike three unequivocally averts that this John Joe subscriber downloaded, copied, and distributed its copyrighted works. It is equally as likely that the subscriber or someone in the household is to blame for the infringement. Strike 3 also acknowledges that despite its unequivocal vermins, it does not know for certain where the subscriber lives. The fact that Strike 3 has to resort to making unequivocal statements of alleged facts that it does not know to be true in order to obtain expedited discovery is troublesome and is a relevant fact the court considers when it decides whether to grant strike P's three's discovery requests. So if they don't get discovery, they don't get your name, nothing they can do, right? So this is really setting the bar, I think, appropriately where it should be set. Um, as we go on here, we do say it's the subscriber as a named defendant because that's what we're going to need the subpoena to help us get the to get the further investigation. This is what they're telling the court. Strike three's counsel also stated, I think we're saying in our initial complaint that the subscriber is going to get us that infringer. So they're almost saying like we're filing a suit to get this guy's name because maybe we'll get somebody else's name. 
And the court's not liking that, okay? Strike three acknowledges its complaints are filed for the sole purpose of enabling it to seek leave to conduct expedited discovery. This court is not the only court troubled by strike three's pleadings. Um, then they quote a case It is where's, where another judge quoted, it is thus apparent that strike three is deliberately asserting claims in a scattershot fashion against a broad array of individuals simply because it is confident that many of them will be liable, even if almost as many of them are not. Such a pleading seems wholly inconsistent with the requirement that plaintiff may not file a complaint for an improper purpose. Okay? The certainty that such an approach will impose needless burdens on innocent individuals counsels against the finding of good cause to permit the expedited discovery. So the court is just going out of its way here to try to shut some holes and, and provide some case law and get other people thinking here. So... Now we talk about Strike Three's holdings are misleading. The subpoenas are misleading. How's that? Strike Three subpoenas only seek to identify the infringer to one of its work. There is no particular rhyme or reason to the ones to one listed infringement date listed in Strike Three subpoena, except Strike Three always chooses the first one that's been expedited with the Copyright Office, which has a registration and is within the ISP's date retention. So what the court's saying is they're cherry picking to get that one case that, that Noah's registered. And to try to tie a name and address into it. The problem with Strike 3's subpoenas is that Strike 3 does not reveal that the subscriber identified by its subpoenas may not be the subscriber when the work was infringed. For example, now we get into the concept of dynamic IP addresses. We talked about this. Your residential IP addresses change. They are not static. They do change. Um, and let's take a look at what the court says. Um, strike threes, it only asks for the name of the subscriber on July 27, 2018. In its motion to uh, strike, <coughs> strike three does not mention that due to dynamic IP addresses, the name of the subscriber identified in the, in the strike three's November 13, 2018 subpoena may not be the person who subscribed to the same address on July 27, 2018. It may all be for naught. This information is not revealed by Strike 3, even though Strike 3 requires, uh, recognizes there are a limited number of IP addresses. The IP addresses are dynamic, and they therefore change. So they know this. They know this. Strike 3 knows that at different times, people can have the same IP address. That's what I said. One day it could be you. Next day your neighbor has the IP address. Maybe they're the ones downloading the films. Who knows? Um, see Call of the Wild. See uh, Call of the Wild movie, LLC versus Doe's. For dynamic IP addresses, a single IP address may be reassigned to many different computers in a short period of time. Uh, here's uh, the court cited the testimony of Comcast, Comcast cable witness, who testified that the lease period for each IP address is approximately six to eight days. Six to eight days and your IP address changes? So uh, that could be somebody else. All right. Another uh, case was cited, Strike 3 Holdings. An IP address is not really an address or physical place in the usual sense of the words, and therefore the term can be quite misleading. In fact, it is only an electronic route to the Internet assigned by a provider to a customer on a given date and hour to provide access to the Internet. The route can be assigned to different customers on given dates or given hours. Are you listening to this? 
If a customer accesses the internet briefly and signs off, the IP address is assigned to another customer. So how do they allege an IP tied to a movie? Court saying, how is this even getting anybody anywhere, especially with a complaint that that is futile? (laughs) Courts routinely recognize the dynamic nature of IP addresses and how often they change. The fact that an IP changed so frequently creates a significant opportunity for misidentification. So that's the misidentification issue. Um, says here, call the wild. Most consumer IP addresses are dynamic as opposed to static. Uh, given the dynamic nature of its IP address, the court cannot be sure that the subscriber's name revealed by strike three subpoenas in the name of the subscriber on the infringement date. Um, it does not identify any single subscriber by itself. Okay. We're getting down there. Now, court also talked about the realm of false positives, and these can be defenses, okay? If you've come this far, you're getting into the area of BitTorrent defenses, okay? Um, Things, reasons why they may have false positives. Court talked about it. Routers are left unsecured or with factory defaults. Passwords are shared with family members, and we've just had a case like this, um, Roommates, guests, and neighbors sharing passwords. People come over to your house, neighbors, guests, uh, nannies, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Fraternities, fraternities sharing passwords. Unsecured guest accounts are created and then forgotten. So you got a guest account. Passwords are cracked. Passwords are reused across different contexts. And once a password is guessed or compromised in one context, it is worthless in all of them. And back doors are opened up by malware and unsecured devices, including printers and even refrigerators. Now we're coming into the Internet of Things. Everything's connected. Who knows what's going on? Um, and I even saw a, a, uh, on, on a well-known and established website, they talked about how the torrents can actually be installed by malware. And this is a, this is a pro uh, industry enterprise, you know, company site and talked about how your computer could passively be downloading files. Believe it or not, believe it or not, this is technology and anything can happen. In addition, there are a variety of ways that a hacker can hide their own IP address. We call this spoofing by using someone else's regardless of whether IP addresses can be tracked reliably in other contexts. They may be particularly unreliable in the BitTorrent context because the BitTorrent protocol was designed to allow high bandwidth connections and thus does not perform source IP address validation. You hear that? In practice, this means that the header information, think of an envelope in a letter in the postal system, transmitted by a swarm participant can display someone else's IP address. This problem is compounded by the fact that that many sites coordinating BitTorrent swarms inject random IP addresses into their swarm list results, okay? So when they say, well, there's no defense, it's 100% foolproof, our IPP investigators in Germany, they know everything, everything's, uh, all this stuff they tell me, geolocation technology cannot be challenged, okay, this court's not buying it. Uh, The court rejects Strike3's argument, which provides another reason why Strike3 has not established good cause to obtain expedited discovery. There are other available means. Strike3 always says, no, there's no other available means, judge. This is the only way to stop infringement. Court says, nah. It is unreasonable to grant Strike3 expedited discovery when Strike3 chooses not to avail itself of legal remedies that do not involve filing thousands of complaints. 
that impinge on constitutionally protected privacy rights of New Jersey subscribers. Do you hear that? Court talks about the DMCA process. Why doesn't Strike 3 resort to that and just do takedowns? If you find your stuff being shared, why don't you go do takedowns? That's what the court's talking about. Um, One would think that Strike 3 would be eager to notify ISPs that its subscribers are infringing their copyrights so that on an infringer's internet service would be interrupted, suspended, terminated, or infringement would stop. Sometimes they throttle down, as, as we've seen. However, Strike 3 does not take this simple step but instead files thousands of lawsuits, arguing that it has no other recourse to stop infringement. Strike 3 admits that with regard to the exemplar subscriber and its other John Doe defendants, it did not send ISPs takedown notices. <coughs> Excuse me. Court's saying, why not? You could hire a company to do this. Anyway, uh, court calls it a, an exhaustion requirement that requires Strike 3 to send takedown notices before it files copyright cases. However, it is not reason. So uh, the court says there is no requirement of the DMCA, but in other words, it is not reasonable for Strike 3 to argue it has no recourse but to speak expedited discovery when it ignores the DMCA. So the court just says, I'm not buying that argument. And I've seen that in complaints. We've answered uh, torrent lawsuit complaints, and we've said the same thing. There are other ways. That's not, that's not genuine. Um, fine. Let's see what else. A couple more things. It is not plausible that strike three cannot find an outside service to send out its notices. Further, the court does not accept strike three's argument that takedown notices are fruitless. Another, any way they get around it. So, um, deterrent effect. This was the other factor was looked at court said, eh, this does not appear to be the case. Despite filing thousands of copyright complaints, strike three recognizes infringements of its works has increased. So even though they're filing more and more lawsuits, even though guys like me are telling you to teach your kids, um, even though they're saying we file these to try to deter, it doesn't stop. In addition, Strike 3 estimates that between 200,000 to 400,000 people illegally download its videos each month. Do you know how much business that is? Can you even imagine and do you know why Strike 3 and Malibu Media are filing these cases? Think about the numbers there. 200,000 to 400,000 every month. Okay, and if you think about the fact that many times they want 750 bucks a movie, uh, this is why their attorneys are going crazy trying to file these suits. Think about the money that's here, okay? So, anyway, court says um, Strike Three's interest in enforcing its right does not constitute good ground to allow premature subpoenas. Premature subpoenas, that's because you're trying to. Speeding up the normal federal court process, okay? Court talks about prejudice to uh, subscribers. We're almost done here. A couple more. I just think this is very important. If you're hanging in here, you're getting a little extra stuff that most people are not willing to go that extra mile and get. So give me a second here. Um, prejudice. Court looked at privacy. You know, Constitution. New Jersey has a Constitution law that provides greater protection than does the federal constitution. Now, federal constitution is a baseline. States are always free to grant more protections to people, but not less. Okay, I don't know if you knew that. That's the way it goes, um, which is good. Okay, so those powers not given to the federal government are reserved to the states or the people. And this is an example where a state can go and provide greater protection. So the court talked about the New Jersey privacy constitution. The innocent subscriber may have to pay a substantial sum to retain a lawyer to defend the lawsuit 
or possibly settle to avoid incurring future costs. Yes, people do settle on what we call cost of business settlement because you can't afford litigation. The innocent scriber may also be subject to unduly intrusive discovery, such as searches of his or her computer and social media. In addition, negative publicity and embarrassment can occur. <coughs> so the court is, excuse me, getting over cold here. The court is trying to protect that privacy interest. You know, somebody say, well, I want you to make a, you know, discovery request from, from one of these companies. Maybe I want you to produce a copy of your hard drive so I can look at everything on there. Well, that's a privacy thing. I don't, nobody wants everybody to see uh, everything that's on their hard drive for a lot of reasons. Privacy, taxes, financial information, emails, personal problems, medical issues, all kinds of things. Um, court didn't like it. Didn't buy it. Uh, finally, rebuttal of Strike3's arguments. Court applied the balancing test on all this. Strike3 argues the court should trust it to only name defendants against whom it has a rock-solid, quote, rock-solid case. And I kind of laugh at that. Says, they're saying, Judge, trust me. Trust me. We only come here with a rock-solid case. Court says, nah, that's not, that's not enough. Um, you need good cause. More than conclusory complaints, more than unequivocal affirmative representation of alleged facts that it does not know to be true. The problem with dynamic IP addresses, misidentification, alter, alternative means to um, to get the to get the information. Although Strike Three's subpoena requests relevant information, this is not the touchstone for expedited discovery. Okay. Strike three ignores the fact that the law does not provide a remedy for every wrong. That's the Charlie Charlie response. To the contrary, the subpoenas infringe the subscriber's privacy interests and result in substantial prejudice to a misidentified alleged infringer. So the court's protecting that person. In conclusion, court finds good cause does not exist for expedited discovery. Granting expedited discovery is exception rather than the rule. Don't forget that. It is appropriate to closely scrutinize whether a pleading is futile or passes muster. Expedited discovery is not justified um, when Strike 3 bootstraps his discovery request onto a deficient pleading that would not survive a Rule 12b motion to dismiss. Even if Strike 3's complaints would survive a 12b motion, the requested discovery would still be denied. The minimal subscriber information Strike 3 requests in its subpoena is misleading and does not account for the prevalence of dynamic IP addresses. Consequently, Strike3's discovery creates too great an opportunity for misidentification. Um, alternative options to prevent the infringement of its work, um, so forth and so on. When the foregoing is weighed against the prejudice that may result innocent subscriber to defendant, including the invasion of a constitutionally protected privacy interest recognized by New Jersey Supreme Courts, the balance falls in favor of denying Strike three discovery motions. The court is mindful that it is not ruling may not make it may make it more difficult for strike three to identify copyright infringers to the extent this is the price to pay to assure compliance with the applicable law. So be it. A legal remedy does not exist for every wrong, and it is unfortunately the case that sometimes the law has not yet caught up with advanced technology. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last, where a party who believes it was wrong was denied discovery. Strike three's motions for expedited discovery denied. All right, there you have it, folks. That's what I wanted you to hear. <coughs> Excuse me. 
hard for me to get through this, but it's important information. And I decided to fight through my cold today and get this out there to you. So um, I hope this sheds some light. If you're facing Malibu media strike three cases, all is not lost. Um, the process needs to be looked at closely. The complaints need to be looked at closely. The additional evidence they are trying to provide needs to be looked at closely. Okay. The lawsuits themselves need to be closely scrutinized. The movies at issue are the movies registered dynamic ad, uh, IP addresses need to be considered whether they're filing in Florida in a Miami Dade County court, when they know you're in new in up in Northern California, those things need to be considered. What's going on there? Is that proper process? Is that proper process? We don't know. Okay. So that may have to be tested and may have to have a judge clarify that for us. But it seems to me using two courts to do one thing seems to me to be um, improper. That's my opinion. And I've made that clear to opposing counsel. And we're going to see where that goes. We're going to see exactly where that goes. Okay. So that's it for now. If you need help with a BitTorrent issue, internet file sharing, P2P, peer-to-peer as we call it, or other copyright infringement matter, as you can tell, you need someone with passion and experience, someone who understands these cases, understands the law, the technology. That's us. You can find us on the web at attorneysteve.com. That's attorneysteve.com. The first name in legal services. If you haven't checked out our video make our uh, video channel, we're over 16,250 subscribers. Love to have you subscribe there. We like to show our passion, share knowledge. We don't charge anything for it. And we would really love having you. You can check us out at attorneystevevideos.com. That's attorneystevevideos.com. All right, I got to run lots of work to do today and more fighting in the torrent trenches. But this is some general legal information only, not legal advice. And that's about it, okay? Cheers, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, you're a superhero and a true champion, okay? Got to run. Take care. Bye now.